Listener Production. In this episode of The Briefing, we ask, what about the kids? Do we really understand the impact of COVID and lockdowns on children under 12? Here's Emily, who's 11. I'm feeling a bit nervous, but I'm also really excited because it means that I can go back to school and see my friends. But I'm nervous because going back to school means that I'm seeing people a lot more and that I could get COVID and I don't want to get locked down again. Now, counselling services such as Kids Helpline say that they're hearing a lot more from children during the pandemic and primary school teachers have warned that kids might struggle in states like New South Wales and Victoria as they open up and the kids are coming back into the classroom. Here's another point of view from a briefing listener called Naomi. She's explaining what it's been like for her seven-year-old. I've noticed she's changed so much socially since returning to school. For the first time on the first day back, I saw her with real anxiety about entering the classroom again and seeing where she fit. And since then, she has had to navigate friendships and decide where they all fit again. It's actually terrifying for her. And what's also terrifying kids and their parents is that under 12 still aren't approved for vaccination. So in this briefing, have we left the kids behind? They're depressed, they're feeling lonely, they're feeling disconnected from the world really um, in the middle of lockdowns. They're anxious, they might be self-harming, they might have eating disorders, you know, it could be a range of things. But the fact that these are issues being raised by kids at much younger ages is something that we really haven't seen before in this way. So that is the briefing for today. It is Monday the 15th of November. Here are today's headlines with Katrina Blouse. Hey Tom, hi everyone. Well, we start with some fresh health concerns for the Queen after the 95-year-old monarch pulled out of an important occasion at the very last minute. The statement from Buckingham Palace says the Queen, having sprained her back, has decided this morning with great regret that she will not be able to attend today's Remembrance Sunday service. Now, the reason this has got people really worried is that it was only last month she spent a night in hospital for the first time in years. And that incident is what stopped her from attending the Glasgow Summit. This looks like it's a separate health problem. And clearly, she had been well enough to plan to go to this service right up until the last moment, but just wasn't able to. Yeah, it's got people really concerned about the Queen. It is seven months now since her husband, Prince Philip, passed away. So obviously a lot of concern for how she's doing. Queensland's border rules are set to ease now that the state has hit the 70% double dose target over the weekend. There will be a process and a lead in time so that the Queensland Police Service and our enforcement officers uh, can make sure that everything is in place. That's the Queensland Health Minister, Yvette Darth, speaking there. So, Katrina, you're expecting a big announcement today laying out the timeline? We are. It's kind of a surprise that they didn't have all of this ready to go because the 70% double dose rate was when they were saying to us, yes, that's when people will be able to come in from those interstate hotspots and home quarantine. Up until now, people have had to fork out in the vicinity of 10 grand to quarantine in a hotel. So you will have to be double dosed. You will have to have had a negative COVID test and agree to stay at home. If you've Wanting to visit Queensland without needing to quarantine, that date is still expected to be December 17. Okay, so you hit the 70% double dose target 
yesterday, mm-hmm. but they weren't ready to roll this new system <laughs> out. So what, it's yeah. going to happen in the next few days? There's going to be some new border passes that you'll need to complete and apparently that system hasn't been made public yet. So we are expecting an announcement from the Premier today just about how you'll go about doing that and what those rules with home quarantine will be because it's a brand new system. Yeah, that'll be quite tricky. So do you know how it will work if you're driving you know, across the New South Wales border but you want to go, say, to Rockhampton? Yeah. How will you get up to Rockhampton? Will you be allowed to drive? Is there some kind of system for that? Yeah, we don't know yet. None of this has been revealed, but I know that home quarantine for returning Queenslanders has been incredibly strict. You haven't been able to quarantine at home, for example, if you live in an apartment and also in certain LGAs. So we're waiting to hear what those rules are and if they are equally as strict. Now, in case you missed this over the weekend, Britney Spears has been freed. A Californian court ended the conservatorship over her on Friday, West Coast time. Yeah, so you're hearing some fans there on the streets of LA, obviously pretty excited. What a party. They're Mm. celebrating after a judge ruled that that conservatorship, which had pretty much controlled every aspect of the 39-year-old's life, was no longer required. So things like Britney can now control her own reproductive Mm. system. She apparently wants to have babies but wasn't able to. She had an IUD inserted according to testimony she gave to a court. She can also uh, control her fortune once again, which is estimated to be in the ballpark of about $82 Australian dollars. Yeah, it'll be amazing to see what she does next. Um, that may include legal action against her father, who was her conservator for over a decade. And in other news, um, Japan's Princess Mako has started her new life with her husband in the US. This was a, a story we did a briefing on a few weeks ago uh, around their controversial wedding. Yeah, controversial because her husband is a commoner who (laughs) works in a law firm. They left Tokyo under heavy police and security yesterday. And Australia's won its first ever men's T20 World Cup, thrashing New Zealand in the final this morning by eight wickets. Yeah, following a strong batting performance from David Warner and Mitchell Marsh. And here's the coach, Justin Langer, who singled out Marsh for praise. There's a few missing pieces, and Mitch Marsh took one of those pieces, and he's been he's been brilliant. So he had some real talent there. Well, he hit some of those pieces over the boundary. He hit four sixes to reach 77 not out. So some good sporting news there. I was up at 4.30 yesterday watching the Wallabies lose to England, so um, it's good to have some positive news. Were you up anyway, Tom, with the baby, <laughs> or were you up for that? <laughs> um, it was a happy coincidence. I had Max on my chest, so, you know, he's getting indoctrinated <laughs> with rugby oh, already. Starting him young. All right, Katrina, we'll catch you on tomorrow's briefing. Uh, Jan Fran's about to join me as we ask, what about the kids? I want to get the vaccine because it will stop me from getting the symptoms as badly as I might if I do get COVID. I probably wouldn't die from it, whereas if I didn't get the vaccine, I could die from it. It will come eventually. I'll get the vaccine eventually. That was 11-year-old Emily again, who you heard from at the top of the show. She's clearly worried there about not being vaccinated. 
And the federal government has responded to some of these worries that young people and young kids are feeling. They've announced a world-first children's mental health strategy for children specifically under the age of 12. It involves greater financial support to see psychologists, it involves more funding for services such as Kids Helpline and more money for kids' mental health and wellbeing centres to be established in communities. But it was only announced last month, Mm. so a year and a half into the pandemic, which I think gives a sense that we're playing catch-up when it comes to the impact of COVID and more specifically, the lockdowns on young kids. Yeah. So full disclosure, Emily's dad, he works on this show. He's, well, we like to call him Cuz. He's up at 5am every day editing the briefing. He also has an eight-year-old boy. That's in addition to 11-year-old Emily. He's with us now. Hey, Cuz, you've gone to your car to speak to us. Is that an indication of the chaos in your house, mate? It's been about the last two years, I think, trying to get into peace and quiet, rather than get in the car or go on the bike, try and get away from it. As much as we want to focus on how it's impacted you, you seem to be having a terrible time. How do you reckon it's impacted your kids? I think that age group and the, the school group have been affected the most out of anyone because they've been locked down, especially in Melbourne, for almost two years and missed two years of school just about. And they've missed all their friends, all the social aspect of that, all the sporting aspect with their teams and whatnot. So mm. I think they've done it quite tough. When you say they've been the most affected, what sort of signs were y- your kids giving off that made you think that maybe they were a little bit anxious or nervous or not handling the pandemic super well? Well, I think it's more coming out of it. Like the school side of things, they seem to deal with okay. But now that everything's starting to open up again, you know, they don't want to get the school bus to school. They see the news every day and they, they follow it. The kids aren't silly. They know what's going on. So, mm. And they know they can't get vaccinated yet. So with all the talk about vaccine passports and it's a ticket to ride and everything else, they don't want to miss out. And they also don't want to get the grandparents sick and their, you know, everyone else sick. They're a little bit worried, I think, about not being able to get vaccinated yet. Have you talked to your kids about this, Cuz? How, how do you have conversations about something like COVID, which is even difficult for an adult to wrap their head around? Oh, we have. We've spoken to them about the bus and they'll wear masks everywhere and things like that. But we've just, we've just gone the approach of, well, we'll do what we can to help soothe that anxiety. So we're driving them to school. We're not going out with them as much. We're not going to the shopping centres yet. We're not going to the restaurants and things yet. And we've basically just said to them that we'll get them vaccinated when we can and we'll keep them as safe as we can. There's not much else you can do. Do you think, Cars, like looking back, there's anything obvious we could have done that would have reduced the impact on kids? The constant media doom cycle that's gone on, the kids, are they watch everything, they pick up on everything. So the daily press conferences, I know they're probably an essential part of it, but seeing the numbers go up and go up and go up and then slowly come down and the lockdowns increase, I think that, message could have been softened a little, but I'm not too sure whether they could have avoided that, to be honest, because it's affected everybody. Unfortunately, they've, they've just been swept up in the whole thing. That was Cuz. Um, let's get into more detail on the impact on kids with the National Children's Commissioner, Anne Hollands. And thanks for joining us this morning on The Briefing. We have heard a fair bit about teenagers and young people struggling with mental health, presenting to emergency departments with mental health issues during the pandemic. What do we know about the way that the pandemic has impacted younger children, so children under 12? 
probably one of the most concerning things about the pandemic is that we've started to see much younger children now presenting at emergency departments or ringing kids' helpline or other help services uh, with much more serious issues. And really, that hasn't been seen in this way before. So there has been something going on, and it's particularly in those places where there's been the extended lockdowns and the school closures. When you say presenting to emergency departments or calling mental health helplines with certain issues, what issues are you seeing most of or what issues are you referring to? Well, what we're hearing about is that uh, kids are calling in with, you know, they're depressed, they're feeling lonely, they're feeling disconnected from the world, really, um, in the middle of lockdowns. They're anxious, they might be self-harming, they might have eating disorders, you know, it could be a range of things. But the fact that these are issues being raised by kids at much younger ages is something that we really haven't seen before in this way. And of course, we're also hearing that it's a lot harder for parents to find help for kids of that age because the services have really been set up mainly for older teenagers and for adults. So which parts of the pandemic have been the hardest for this age group? Was it being stuck at home? Was it about just the the general chaos and state of change and loss of routine, not seeing friends? Or was it going back into the world after lockdown or, or even the real COVID health concerns or not being vaccinated? Which things have really kicked the hardest? We really saw kids and heard from kids being affected by the big changes They saw their parents becoming very anxious Mm. uh, with losing their jobs or fearful of losing their jobs. There was a lot of stress and anxiety amongst parents and adults and kids talked about this in the surveys that have been done. So as well as being cut off from their friends and from their usual routines, there was more stress at home. You know, I think one of the things that's really come to light during this pandemic is the importance of school, not just as a place for academic learning, but it's a social learning environment, which means that we're really helping kids build their social and emotional skills in this environment, which is the foundation for everything else in later life. But also schools really, especially primary schools, are a hub of support for kids and their families. And often there's not much else available for this age group. And we cut Mm. everybody off from that. We cut them off without replacing that. And I think that's a sign that we really overlooked the unique needs of younger children. When you talk about the unique needs of younger children, what are you referring to? What sort of needs do they have that, say, older children or adults might not have in a time like this? Kids, it's not just about learning through Zoom. You know, this is kids at this age are developing in a range of ways. And a lot of it is about these social and emotional skills, but learning to regulate your emotions and uh, self-regulation ability is the term that's used. It's about learning to get on with others, how to make friends, how to resolve conflict, how to manage in that school environment, both the positives of that social environment, but also learning to deal with the negatives. All of that was cut off. You know, I think we really underestimated how important school is for these younger kids. Yeah. So talk us through those ages, put us in that child's point of view. Because I imagine if you were, say, five and the pandemic kicked in, you went back to being at home more often, it wouldn't be such a big change because that's what you've been doing the first five years of your life. But as you get to, say, six, 
seven, eight, those social dynamics and uh, I guess the friendships you make at school and those, those learnings that you've talked about there really start to matter. They're absolutely right, especially as you're heading towards the teenage years and that transition to high school, you know, those peer group relationships Mm. are incredibly important and you're just learning about that. You know, you're just at the the beginning of that. After a period of relative stability through five, six to eight is often fairly stable and then it starts to change from there. But also those younger kids, Tom, don't underestimate the fact that um, a five-year-old who's just started school has just gone through that transition from Mm. preschool to school and has made a huge leap in development and then they were sent back home. And so now going back to school, those kids, those littlies are having to really start again. And that can be very, very tough, especially for some kids. How do we make sure that we're fully across this situation as a society? Because children, they don't advocate for themselves Hmm. in the same way that, say, teenagers can or certainly that adults can. So how do we make sure that we're cottoning onto it? without them necessarily having to explicitly tell us? Well, do you mean at a societal level? I'll start there. That's a great question because we really haven't heard much about kids at all. Uh, We don't have someone representing children at that national cabinet table or or the, the health groups that are meeting. Really, this has been policy for adults developed by adults. And that's dangerous because it's really easy to overlook the needs of these kids as we've seen. Of course, we can also be really listening to kids and being tuned into them at home. And that's the job of parents. And now, of course, it's also the teachers as they're starting to return. You know, those who are most closest to the kids are the ones that that are going to be able to pick up who's struggling more than they should be and need extra help, um, recognising that this is hard for everybody. How do you feel about the vaccine question? We're still waiting to see whether they'll be approved for kids aged between 5 and 12. How much of a headache is this creating? Well, I think it's creating a headache in that um, we, we haven't worked out yet what to do about schools when there is a case that occurs in schools and we seem to be locking schools down again and sending kids home again all the time. I worry about that when really a lot of the health experts, the paediatricians that I work with are saying that's not necessary, that if all the adults are vaccinated who who have dealings with the children, like teachers, you know, it's compulsory now for them to be vaccinated and ideally all the parents are, that that's the best chain of protection for the children, but also then protects against the children passing it on to vulnerable people in the community. So, you know, really we need to take some sensible steps now to pay attention to not just those health questions, but also those other development and wellbeing issues that are important for children who have frankly missed out on a huge amount and many are struggling right now. That was National Children's Commissioner Anne Hollands. What do you make of that, Jen? I think the problem is probably a little bit more widespread than we fully understand it, partly because kids younger than the age of 12 can't advocate for themselves in the same way that teens and adults can. It'll be really interesting to see what the long-lasting impact of this will be. Yeah, and I think that long-lasting impact might, with the benefit of hindsight, show that maybe the trade-off in protecting the health of the elderly and the vulnerable maybe came at more of a cost than we realised to the mental health of the young. 
Tomorrow on The Briefing, we're going to explain the detail on the Britney Spears story and how it reached this uh, massive turning point of this conservatorship finally ending. Listener.